Brothers and sisters, it is a pleasure to be with you this evening again. And now I ask that you would open the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will be reading from verses 1 through 11. But I ask that you pay a special attention to verses 1 and 2 which will be the focus of our message this evening. So please open in 1 Corinthians 15. Let us read from verses 1 through 11. This is the Word of God. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, also, by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Brothers, do you have a good memory? Sisters, do you have a good memory? Sometimes when I'm about to go out, and I guess even today that happened when I was coming to, to drive here, I'm about to go out and then I, I remember that I forgot the car key somewhere in the house. And then I have to go back and I go out again and then I, I realize I forgot my water bottle and then something else. It's very common that we forget those, those things. But how often do we forget the most important things? There's, there's this politician from the last century, uh, actually a political scientist. His name was Frederick Howe, and he was writing an autobiography. And as he was writing his autobiography, the story of his own life, he gave a copy for his wife to review it. His wife, after reading the biography, looked at him, and jokingly she asked him, Oh, Fred, weren't you ever married? And then, of course, he was embarrassed, and then he he said, I'll fix that right away. I'm sorry, honey, I forgot that. How often it is, brothers and sisters, that we forget the most important things. It's okay to forget the car keys, but when you are married, that's not okay. This evening, we will deal with a text which is a very strong gospel reminder. And this is why I have 
titled the message of this evening, The Gospel Remembered. In verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle, he says to the church of Corinth that they should remember something. And then from verses 3 to 5, he will say what the something is, the gospel. He will synthesize the message of the gospel with some evidences and, and witnesses from verses 5 to 8. And then he will speak a little bit about his own experience on, on the, the following verses of being a target of that message and how he himself is unworthy of that message. And he concludes this section that we have read saying that this is the gospel that he has preached. This is the gospel that the church has believed. Today we will deal only with the first two verses. So as in the morning we have dealt with 72 verses and this evening is only two. But don't expect the preaching to be any shorter. There's so much in those two verses that it is worth our appreciation. Dear believers, those verses from the Apostle Paul to the Church of Corinth provide us with a very clear teaching. And in a short sentence, this teaching is that as we are surrounded by false teachings, we'll, the context, we'll deal with that in a moment, but as we are surrounded by false teachings in this world, we have to be reminded, we have to remember the gospel. Very simple lesson. Again, that's how the scripture talks to us, in a very simple, clear and direct way. And in this chapter, brothers, uh, it's, I think it's helpful for us to understand where this chapter is set in the flow of the whole letter, the, of the whole epistle. The epistle that the apostle has written to the church of Corinth, it's mostly, uh, if some of you are engineers here, you will understand what I say, it's mostly based on a a, a problem-solving method. So engineers usually think in a certain way. They see a problem, they want to fix it. Paul has been given a lot of reports about this church, of a lot of problems. And he goes on from chapter 1 until until the last chapter, until chapter 15, and, and even later chapter 16, dealing with different issues, different problems. He starts the epistle dealing with the problems of parties and groups in the church. There are different, different people in the church saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I am of A or B or of, of this person or that person. And his method again and again is, let's go back to the gospel. Let's see what the gospel of Christ talks about that particular situation. And let's apply to it to deal with that issue, with that problem. So he does that with the problem of parties and groups. He's done that, he, he does that a little later with the problem of sexual immorality in the church. Uh, and then he will do that a little later in the same epistle with people that are abusing the Lord's Supper. He will do that with people abusing the spiritual gifts, with people that are like in order in the public worship, that they, they are causing disturbance in the public worship. And then we, we come a little later in chapter 15, we will deal with one of those problems that I, I just mentioned a few of them. And particularly on chapter 15, Paul will deal with the problem of false doctrines, false teachings that were circulated in the church, and therefore the Corinthians were being threatened by this false teaching. And in this context, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I have preached. In my own translation of the text, I I translate this as, I remind you, I make known to you Again, meaning I remind you of the gospel which I have preached. 
Therefore, we see here that if you analyze this text grammatically, the main verb is Paul is saying, hey, church, brothers and sisters, I have declared to you something. I have declared to you the gospel. That's the main verb. Which I have preached to you, which you have believed. The gospel in which you stand, and the gospel by which you are saved. Therefore, following the very structure of the text, our message this evening will have those four points. And tonight we are to remember the gospel. Because it was preached to us, because we have received it. Because this is the foundation in which we stand. And because it is by this gospel that we are saved. So in our first point, remember the gospel because it was preached to you. Now, the apostle, it's important for us to remember that the apostle planted this church. If you want to get a context to understand the whole epistle of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians a little better, you need to read Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 is the chapter that describes that, that the church planting process. And if you read Acts 18, you see that Paul, as it was his custom, he preached every Sabbath. He was preaching every Sabbath, week after week, testifying of the gospel of Christ, of how the Messiah was predicted in the Old Testament, of how he had already came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, on how the Jews should believe on this Messiah. And as we see in Acts 18, he not only preached there, but he also discipled, he baptized men and women, and many believers came to Christ through his ministry. So this was an intense ministry of preaching, of evangelism, of discipleship, of pastoral care. And this was sacrificial for him. It, it, this is the chapter in Acts 18 when we read that Paul was making tents. He was working with his hands so that he wouldn't give any reason for the people there to doubt that he was preaching the gospel not for his own profit. He, he was trying to convince them. He was not trying not to give any reason for scandal. And that's when we know that he met Aquila and Priscilla. And there, in that context, we see that the Apostle Paul was teaching. But this teaching was not without its difficulties. There was a lot of persecution. It was hard for Paul to teach there. People were trying to kill him. And as he was teaching the word among them, despite of the sacrificial and loving ministry of the Apostle, it seems that the Corinthian church, a little later, two years later, when this letter was written, by the way, Paul was there about A.D. 52. This letter was written about A.D. 54. Paul spent a year and a half there with that church. And then, two, three years later, after he, he leaves the church, he has to write this to the church. And he has to remind them with this. It's a gentle reminder, but there's also a sense of a rebuke here. Moreover, brethren, I have to declare you the gospel which I have preached to you. I already preached this to you, but you, you have to remember this. It's a gentle rebuke. And in spite of the sacrificial and loving ministry of Paul there, the Corinthian church was being now assailed by false teachings, and they needed to be reminded of what was preached to them. Now, this false teaching that was circulating in the Corinthian church, we don't know precisely in details the nature of this false teaching, but it seems as, as we study the scriptures that it could be either the false teaching that was preached by Hymenaeus and Philetus, or maybe the false teaching of the Sadducees. Meaning, 
It could be either the false teaching of Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus and Philetus, if you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, you see that they were the ones teaching that the resurrection had already passed. So Christ already resurrected, and there's no resurrection to be expected beyond that. But then you have the false teaching of the Sadducees. And those are the ones from whom we read in Acts chapter 23, when Paul is, is challenging false teachings there. It is said by, by the author that the Pharisees were those that believed in no resurrection, in no spirit, in nothing supernatural. So, no resurrection, no angel, no spirit. They didn't believe in any of that, Acts 23, 8. So you have this false teaching of those that would pervert Christian religion. And you have the false teaching of those that would altogether deny Christian religion. Is it different today? Is it different today? Don't we find nowadays, as the gospel has been preached to us, as the gospel has been preached to you, like it was preached to the Corinthians, that we are challenged with false teachings all around us, of those that pervert the Christian faith, but also of those that simply blatantly deny the Christian faith. And they will come up with alternatives. And they will try to persuade us with every wind of doctrine so that we fall away from the faith. And how is it, brothers, that we can protect ourselves from this? How is that the Corinthian church could protect themselves and we can protect ourselves? The Apostle Paul is very clear. Remember the gospel, brothers, because I have preached it to you. Because I have preached it to you, we have to know the content of the preaching, which Paul will delineate and expand on verses 3 and 4, which is not the topic for our meditation this evening, but in a few sentences, we have to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is according to the Scriptures. It has been predicted of old. It has been fulfilled in Christ. It has been preached by the Apostle, and it has been given over to us. We have to remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Scriptures, which was also predicted of old, fulfilled in Christ, preached to us, and delivered to us by tradition, by the preaching throughout the centuries. We have to know the gospel, brothers. And we have to know the death and the resurrection of Christ and know these facts as they are explained to us, predicted of old and fulfilled in Christ, Old and New Testament, so that we use this message of the gospel as a canon, a measuring read, a standard by which we measure every other message. So, the gospel is our lens, our corrective lenses to analyze and to interpret the whole world. And brothers and sisters, we need to understand this. There's no other message. There's no other. If someone tries to convince you that there's some other gospel, let him be accursed. That's what the apostle says. Let him be accursed. You see... We have studied this, mo- this morning about that gospel predicted of old. And even God himself, as he has appointed in eternity, he can give us a better understanding of the gospel. He can't give us any other gospel. Even God himself can do it. Not because he is unable to do anything, because he has no power, but because the gospel is an expression of his person. And he can't deny himself. This gospel has been preached to us. It has been preached to the church of Corinth. And therefore, 
We have to know the contents of this preaching. And as we remind ourselves to use it as a canon, we will see that it enables us. Knowing the contents of this preaching enables us to discern between truth and lies. I was once talking to a, a pastor about good preaching. And I told him I was looking for a church that I, in which I wanted to find good preaching. And then he started to question me, but what is good preaching? And he kept asking and probing me. Is good preaching this? Is good preaching that? Explain it to me. Give me examples. And until he was satisfied that I could answer what was good preaching, he didn't stop. And he meant well. He meant well. You can't find good preaching in a church if you don't know what good preaching is. And you can't know actually what the difference between good and bad preaching if you can't define it. It is the same with the gospel. If you can't define the gospel, how can you know what is true and false teaching? Therefore, brothers, remember the gospel because it was preached to you. But also remember the gospel because you have received it. As the Corinthian church had the gospel preached to them, they received it. They received it in faith in the midst of strong persecution. It was persecution for Paul, but it was also persecution for the church. And you, brothers, today have received the gospel that was preached to you. As we look into the Corinthian church, maybe we will find a few examples of persecution that do not apply to us. But let me explain this to you, at least briefly, to see how serious it is, how serious it is to say that you have received the gospel. Nowadays, it's very easy to, say, to raise your hand and to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I have accepted Jesus into my heart. It's so easy to say those words. That was not the case back then. In the time of the Apostle Paul, when he was there for that year and a half in the Corinthian church, A.D. 52, you can read in Acts 18 that he faced a great persecution so much that it was necessary for the Lord Jesus Christ himself to appear to him in a revelation, to encourage him to continue. Because Paul was already decided to go and preach to the Gentiles only. Because the, the Jews were offering a fierce persecution. It was in that chapter that one of the believers there, Sosthenes, he is beaten up for his faith. It is in that chapter that you find the public beating of the leader of the local synagogue who had converted. And we know that this was the case because the very first verse of this epistle of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, it's Paul greeting the Corinthian church with our brother Sosthenes, the same one referred to in Acts chapter 18. In the midst of strong persecution, the church believed. They received the gospel. To open your mouth at that time and say, I am a Christian, means putting a target in your back, means risking having your family forsaking you, throwing you away from the house, at best, maybe delivering you to the authorities. And at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, it was the beginning of the reign of Nero, A.D. 54. So it was about to start a period of intense persecution in church history in a few decades. Brothers, the gospel has been preached to you. The gospel has been preached. Have you received with faith? The Corinthian church received it with, with faith. Paul challenged them precisely because they have received it with faith. It didn't make any sense for them in that moment, after receiving the gospel through so intense persecution, to 
do away with the gospel that they received in that context. It is easier for us to receive the gospel nowadays just paying lip service to it. Therefore, I ask you, have you really received the gospel? Have you really received this message of salvation? Would you be able to give your life for it? It did not make sense for the church back then to exchange the real gospel by denying the resurrection, which is in context what is being denied in chapter 15. They would do away with the message which they, which they received. But also it does not make sense for us if we, we really understand the gospel. The same gospel that was preached and is preached to us nowadays, it does not make sense for us to reject such a great message of mercy and hope. Therefore, the apostle comes with this gentle reminder. And I want to emphasize, it's a gentle reminder, but also a rebuke. Moreover, brethren, beloved brothers and sisters, remember the gospel which I have preached to you, which you have received it. Remember, you have received it. So, when false doctrines come, now persevere. Remember that you received at that time. Don't go back to the life that you once lived. Don't use false doctrines as an excuse to go and live your life now the way that you want, because you have received it. And notice that the Apostle Paul contrasts the receiving a little later with the believing in vain. So you read, for example, in verse, verse 2 here, uh, by the end of verse 2, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. So there's a contrast here between receiving the gospel and believing in vain. They are opposite. Now, today, how do we know that we have really received the gospel? How do we know that we have received the gospel? It is not too different than what we have learned in the, the morning message, what we have heard. We have discussed even here in, 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 in our sermon discussion. How can we know that the Israelites in Psalm 78, when they believed God, they were insincere because they didn't persevere? It is the same. How do we know that the Corinthian church, or particular believers in the Corinthian church, which unlike that group of Psalm 78, most of here would be believers, true believers. How do we know that they, they had received that message of the gospel sincerely? Because they persevere. Not because they're perfect Christians, not because they don't sin at all, but because they have a, a sensible heart, which has been made sensitive by the Spirit to the message of the gospel, so that again and again they go back, they fall back into the feet of Christ for forgiveness, for mercy, for sanctification. The Shorter Catechism, our confession, our, our symbol of faith, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, in question 86, asks us, what is faith in Jesus Christ? This question helps us to understand what it means to receive the gospel. The answer is, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation, as He has offered to us in the gospel. And notice that, as I emphasize that we have to receive the gospel, I also want you to understand, notice that it says here, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. Grace. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God from beginning to end. The whole process is grace, including faith. 
And notice that as we look into this definition of the Westminster Catechism of what is true faith, what's the faith that the Corinthians should have and the faith that we should have, it's, as it has been historically defined, it, it has three elements of it in it. It is based in the knowledge of the gospel. It is also a faith that is receiving, that is an object, there is an objective answer of affirming those truths. But there's also a subjective element of a trust, of a trust. We receive and we rest, rest as a subjective response to the gospel that has been preached to us. It is the same, for example, as you look into your confession of faith, Westminster Confession, chapter 14. It will describe to you faith as a saving grace. And it even says in paragraph 3, if you remember chapter 14 of your, your confession, that this faith can be stronger and weaker. What is it talking about there? This is important for us to understand. Uh, I'll get back to the text in a while, but... Chapter 14, 3 of the Confession says that we have stronger and weaker degrees of faith because the, there's this threefold sense of faith. Faith has been given to us as a set of propositions, as a set of truths. That's our faith. That's what we confess about Christ. And that's faith also in the sense that we, knowing the, those propositions, we confess this, we say it out loud. But our apprehensions of these truths, those can vary in terms of our experience. So that's, for example, when we say in common language, in daily life, I feel like my relationship with Christ, my faith is strong this month, this week. I feel weak in faith. What are we saying, that the gospel has become weaker? No. It's the same gospel. But our apprehension of that truth has become weaker. And I believe that the Apostle Paul is reminding them of the objective contents of the gospel, the death and the resurrection, so that they are not snared by false doctrines here, because he recognized that their subjective faith at that moment was threatened. It could be weakened. So because they were not remembering again, because they were not remembering, they were risking not living by this gospel and having their subjective faith weakened. You see, the problem nowadays with people that emphasize the subjective faith is that they totally ignore the objective side of faith, the contents of the faith, the, the message of the gospel. But the Christian faith is made of all of those. It's objective and it is subjective, and we need both. We need both. We need to have a, a true experience with Christ, true personal relational experience that is based on the objective truth revealed to us in the Word of God. If our emotions are raised up only by mechanisms, of, only by, by theatrics, that's empty. But if by the word of God, we can, by the word of God, if we can feed our faith, then we will have a strong subjective apprehension of faith. And how do we do that, brothers? How do you do that? We get on this a little later, but specifically about the subjective element of faith. I want you to remember here that faith is a gift. And because it is a gift, we need to ask, we need to ask, we need to ask the Lord to give us a greater faith. Doesn't Christ reprimand the, those in the boat saying, oh, you, you of little faith. 
But doesn't the same Christ say that he will not quench the smoking flax? That he will not completely break the bruised reed? Doesn't Christ himself says that if we ask for the Father, for the Holy Spirit, he shall not give us anything else but the Holy Spirit. He will not give us a snake when we ask for, for fish or a rock when we ask for bread, but he will give the Spirit to those that ask him. So, brothers, if your faith is weak, if you are assailed by false doctrines or by whatever else that might come on your way to weaken your faith, remember, you have received the gospel already. The objective truths of the gospel will not ever change. That's immutable. Ask the Lord to give a greater apprehension of those immutable objective truths so that you can strengthen your faith. Therefore, brothers, because faith is a gift, remember the gospel and ask the Lord for a greater faith. But then we have our, the third place in our text that the apostle says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I have preached to you, which you have received, and in which you stand. That's our third point, in which you stand. Remember the gospel, because it's the very grounds in which you stand. There's a metaphorical, or an architect, architectural metaphor here in the verb to stand. And this is recaptured in the end of, of the chapter, as you read, for example, verse 58. Verse 58, the apostle uses the same metaphor in a different way, with a different application, but verse 58 of the same chapter we read, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So the idea here is that the gospel is the very grounds in which the Corinthians would stand. Remember the gospel, brothers, because that's where you stand. This is the gospel in which you stand. What Paul is saying here, it's worth thinking about. Think about the floor or even the chair you are standing right now. Think about the chair or the floor you are standing. Is there anything special in my act of standing here over this floor or anything special about you sitting there? Isn't the fact that I am able to stand here, and the fact that you are able to sit there, only granted because this is a firm floor, and because this is a firm seat for you? You see, Paul is not driving the attention to our act of standing, but with this architectural metaphor, he is saying, brothers, remember the gospel, the gospel. The gospel is the very grounds in which you stand. So, brothers and sisters, remember the gospel. The gospel is not, is not like a house that was built on sand, but it's like a house that was built on rock. It's not like a building that was built over a swamp, over sinking sand. No, it's a firm structure. If everything else in your life is shaking, if everything else in your life fails you, if there's no stability in your life, the gospel gives you stability because the gospel is the eternal message that expressed the very character of the immutable God. We can stand over it. There's assurance. There's, there's firmness. That's why Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, as you look into the gospel, remember the gospel because that's the very grounds in which you stand. Therefore, for the Corinthians to do away with the resurrection of Christ, which was being questioned here, would mean to do away with the very grounds in which they stand. 
And for us today, to deny any of those essential elements of the gospel, the death or the resurrection of Christ or other essential elements of the gospel, it would be unimaginable. It would be absurd. It is as, as if someone was on purpose jumping into quicksand. Would you do that? But still, because of our sin, because of our blindness, sometimes, even as believers, we jump into quicksand. Therefore, we need to remind ourselves that's not the way. Brothers, remember the gospel. Sisters, remember the gospel. That's the very grounds in which you stand. It will give you stability in the rough times of life because it's an immutable message. And there's a great comfort for us here. There's a great comfort for us here. As I said before, as we go through trials and tribulations in this life, as we face the threats of false teachings, whatever may be the case, we can always have the certainty that the gospel of Christ is unshakable. He lived and died for my sins. This will never change. It is not your performance that makes you stand in Christ. It's not because this week you have been a good Christian. It's not because this week you haven't sinned in that particular way that you, you are gaining victory over this. Therefore, let me this, this is actually a side application, but let me say this as well. If the gospel is the very grounds in which you stand, then it does not make sense that when we sin, we run away from Christ, we put ourselves on that little corner, and we punish ourselves because we have been so bad, and we, we take so long to, to repent and to come back to the Lord. Because if your stability is not based on your performance, at least according to the scriptures, it shouldn't be, then your satisfaction in the Lord shouldn't be based on your performance either. There is such a thing as a true repentance that brings grievance to the heart. And yes, we we, we should experience that. But we shouldn't be slow to repent and to come back to Christ because we are evaluating ourselves on another standard that is not the gospel. The gospel is immutable. It's the grounds in which we stand and nothing else. Christ, and Christ only, is a firm ground to stand. A Puritan has said, just to conclude this point, a Puritan has said once, actually not a Puritan, a a brother in church history. I think it was Samuel Rutherford or McShane. For every look that you give to yourselves, give ten looks to Christ. For every look that you give to yourself, give ten looks to Christ. Why is that? Because we are so mutable. You can't really depend on yourself. But Christ, Christ alone, Him in the gospel offered to us is where we should look for our stand. But brothers, in the fourth place, the Apostle Paul and me this evening, we exhort you, remember the gospel by which you are saved. By which you are saved. That's what it is in the text. But I have actually named this point, remember the gospel for your sanctification. And why is that? As you look into the text, in verse 2, it says, by which you are saved. But the, the verb in Greek, it actually carries a continuous tense, meaning a continuous action. It could be much as well has been translated as, by which you are being saved. And here let us just stop for a moment and recognize that the Bible uses the word save, the verb to save, and the noun salvation in different ways, in different contexts. And we usually associate that with, you know, uh, regeneration or being born again, which is not necessarily wrong. But salvation in the Bible, you have to read it in context. 
and if you know Greek, it helps, it can mean a past salvation, which is what we usually term as justification. God declared us righteous in Him by Christ. He took our sins in our place, now we are righteous. Our sins have been imputed to Him, His righteousness has been given to us, and by union with Him, we are justified. It can also be progressive, a process by which you are being saved, meaning there's a salvation going on in me and in you right now, if you are a believer, by which you are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. But there's also future salvation that we expect to have. That We can read about that even in the same chapter a little later, about glorification. One day we will be saved when our bodies will be transformed and our nature will not be plagued by sin anymore. And we will be with Christ in the heavenly places. So, we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. All of those are true. The word salvation and the verb to be saved are used in different contexts throughout the Bible. And theologically, we use different terms to differentiate those things. But here, it is pretty clear from context, and even from the, the, the following part of the verse, by which you are saved, or being saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, which is also a verb that is in the continuous tense, if you keep holding on fast, considering that you are holding fast to the word that I have preached to you, unless, and this is a verb in the past, you have believed in vain. Therefore, brothers, that's what we see here in verse 2. It's talking about sanctification. So remember the gospel for your sanctification. It's the source of your sanctification. Specifically, the gospel was preached. Isn't this what our confession says? Again, Westminster Confession, chapter 15, sorry, 14, paragraph 1. It says that saving grace is that, saving faith is that grace which is usually wrought out, worked out in us ordinarily by the preaching of the word. And it is also strengthened by the sacraments, by prayer, but ordinarily by the preaching of the word, by the word that was preached by the Apostle Paul, by the word that is that's being preached in this church week after week. Ordinarily, that's how saving faith comes. And it is strengthened so that we are sanctified by the same preaching of the word. So we believed once by preaching, but also we are being sanctified by preaching. That's one of the more important means of grace. Therefore, brothers... Let me ask you, how has been your growth in grace? How has been your growth in grace? How has been your walk with Christ? How do you perceive your own process of sanctification? Overall, if you consider maybe the past few months or weeks or years, how have you perceived that? Are you stuck? Or are you growing? Are you more sensitive to sin? Are you more aware of your own sins, but also more aware of the grace of God, of how He loved you and sanctifies you day after day? We have to be reminded, brothers, as the Apostle reminds us again here, that the gospel which was declared is the one by which we are being sanctified. And we are being sanctified by means. So when I ask those questions, if you look to yourself and you think, my walk with Christ has not been the best, or I could grow more in sanctification. And if we, are, if we are honest, we all have to grow in sanctification to a great degree or another. 
then use the means. Use the preaching of the word. Take notes on the preaching. Read beforehand the text. Remind yourself throughout the week that which you, you have took notes on and try to, to apply it to your own life. Talk to brothers and sisters about this. Meditate. You know, digest the preaching throughout the week so that you are nourished by that. Again and again. Use this means of grace. If we make a diligent use of those means of grace, it is promised to us sanctification. It's not, it's not promised an easy life. It's not promised that we will face no challenges in life. But sanctification is promised. If we seek him, he will let himself be found by us. That's a promise of the gospel. Now, in the same verse, Paul brings an additional warning against this professed faith. That's what he says, unless you have believed in vain. He brings a warning against this professed faith that turns out to be unbelief. This is a a very solemn reminder for us as well, brothers. As the gospel has been preached to us, as the gospel has been received by us, as it is the the grounds in which we stand, and as it is the means for our sanctification, we need to be reminded that there is such a thing as a vain belief. Nowadays in the church, people talk about in some circles, about the carnal believer. The one that, even though he has professed faith, he is just weak in faith. He is just weak. And he keeps living on in such a way that he, he commits sin without repentance. He's not sensitive to sin. He can never have a, a victory against sin and it's always failing and sinning again and again. Well, this doctrine of the carnal believer, let me tell you, there's no such a thing biblically as a carnal believer. But there is such a thing as a vain believer. So there's those who have received the gospel. There are those who have received the gospel with true faith. And there are those who have believed in vain. Or that have not even believed. But there are only two categories. There are only two groups. In the last day there will be sheep and goats. There's no other animal. There's no middle ground. Either one or the other. And this, especially as the Apostle Paul says that to a church that he has preached for over a year and a half, Sabbath after Sabbath, preaching to them. And now, you can imagine, they were assailed by fierce persecution. Paul didn't have to write this. He, he, he didn't have to write, brothers, don't give up on the gospel because you are being threatened by, uh, on death. You are being threatened on your lives. But he had to write to them, be careful of false teachings. Remember the gospel. Why is that? Because, brothers and sisters, it's so subtle. False teachings is such a subtle threat to the church. It's so subtle. It can kill much more than persecution. Sometimes persecution, not that we desire persecution, but sometimes it's good for the church. But the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he says, do not fear those that can kill the body. But fear God who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. False doctrines can cast the soul into hell. Persecution can't. Do you realize that? Do you realize that those that would be listening to the preaching of Paul here, if they were rejecting the resurrection of Christ, they would be in danger themselves of hellfire, 
And even more, they would be in danger themselves of how far of the condemnation of having heard the gospel again and again. It's not different for us today here. Not different at all. If the gospel has been preached to you, you have received it. You say that's the grounds in which you stand. You even say that the gospel sanctifies you, but you have believed in vain. What is going to happen with you? I have no pleasure in saying this from the pulpit, but it's the reality. And it's what the Word of God says. And we have to be aware. This is a sober warning. Therefore, be careful. Each one of you, be careful so that you do not find yourself in the last day to, that you would come there and that you would listen from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ as you come to Him to enter into the heavenly gates. And He says to you, I have never known you. Get out. Go out of my sight, you evildoers. Therefore, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel for your salvation. Remember the gospel so that you don't believe in vain on the last day. Come to Christ. He is a loving and a forgiving Savior. He has offered the gospel to you this morning, this evening, and He will keep offering the gospel to you time and time again. He is a loving and forgiving Savior. Listen to this preached gospel. Listen to it with faith, with true faith that understands, that receives, and that rests on Him. Seek His help. Seek His assistance to, assistance to believe. If you find hard to believe, say as that man in the gospel has said, Lord, I'm weak in my faith. Help me in my own belief. He will help you. Come in humbleness. Come in dependence. He will answer, A contrite heart, Lord, thou shalt not despise. Contrite heart, thou shalt not despise. Psalm 51. Come to Him. Come to Him today. And you will find forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, as we come to the end of this message, let us recall what we have learned today from the Word of God. We are to remember the Gospel because the Gospel has been preached to us. Because this is the Gospel which we have received. Because this is the gospel which is the very grounds in which we stand. Because this gospel is the source of our sanctification. Let us hold unto the preached word with faith. So that we do not find ourselves to be those that believe in vain. May the Lord deliver us from spiritual amnesia. And may we always remember our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. Amen. Let us come to the Lord now with a, a word of prayer. Lord, as we have heard your message, as we have heard the gospel, Lord, time and time again, preach, preach to us, preach to us beyond the, the words of this preacher here, preach to us in our hearts, engrave, the, engrave those very words of the gospel in our hearts that we would remember the gospel, Lord. Have mercy on us. Let us be sanctified by the words of, the, of Christ, by the words of the gospel. Let us draw strength from your death and resurrection, beloved Christ, that we have been justified, that we are sanctified by the preached word, that we will be one day glorified, and that's our hope. Be with my brothers and sisters here, Lord, and if there's those that have believed in vain here, Lord, let not this be the case in the last day, but convict them of sin and bring them to you. 
whatever it costs for them. That in the last day, none of us here, Lord, would be found to be those that will listen from you, beloved Christ, that you do not know them. But let us, all of us here, Lord, have the assurance and the confidence in the gospel that in the last day we will hear from your lips, beloved Christ. Come, come, thou good and faithful servant. Partake of the pleasures of your Lord. This is our hope, Lord. We want to listen to those words in the last day. Let it not be the case that people in this local congregation will be damned because of their believing in vain. But remind us of the gospel, I pray. For my brothers and sisters here. Amen.